Hello and welcome to the Global Marketing Calendar, growing your business in a digital world. I'm your host, Abiel Breen, and this podcast is brought to you by Oban International, the digital marketing agency specializing in international expansion. In each episode, we'll look at an upcoming event from around the world. We'll find out how the event is celebrated and talk about its cultural significance. And we'll also discuss how your business can use these insights to create compelling global marketing campaigns. At the end of each episode, I'll be joined by fellow Oban member Az Ahmed, where he'll be bringing an untranslatable word and making it translatable. Today, we're talking about Swedish Midsummer, which is such an important festivity that there have been proposals to make the Midsummer's Eve into the National Day of Sweden. And with me to talk about Midsummer is our Lime or local in-market expert, Lars from Sweden. Hello, Lars. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Javier. So let's go right into it, Lars. What is Midsummer and what does it mean? Yeah, why why do Swedes dance around leafy poles, uh, jump over fences <laughs> and play funny little frogs on a Friday in late June? Well, that <laughs> is Midsummer. And actually, it's Sweden's most popular and mythical tradition. Midsummer means in the middle of the summer, and, and the word already existed in the old Swedish, that is pre-Christian time, uh, midsummer uh, or midsommar in Swedish. Uh, but, you know, more precisely, midsummer stands for the time when the sun is at its highest in the sky, the summer solstice, and that usually occurs on the June 22nd. So that's like the definition of, of midsummer. Uh, but then in Sweden, midsummer are many things actually, uh, because we have such a long history of it. First of all, midsummer is the weekend when Sweden celebrates that summer has come. Uh, and it has been that always. And uh, midsummer is also next to Christmas, the most important holiday in Sweden by far, I would say. It's the number one uh, holiday. And one reason for that is that for many people, it marks the beginning of a period of holiday. Uh, and uh, historically, both Midsummer and the Midsummer Pole go back to celebration in the Northern Europe of the budding vegetation of spring and hope for good growth. So it, it has a lot of things around it. And also in the peasant society, um, Midsummer was a turning point in the working year, while the Midsummer night itself was considered to be full of magical powers and supernatural beings. At that night, we see a twilight zone in Sweden during Midsummer night, and it's still so. And today, Midsummer has also a national theme, and uh, people use flags. Uh, they use the decoration ornament. And uh, the flags is, is kind of late thing. It came in the 20th century. So we didn't use flags before. And Midsummer is also celebrated in larger circles of France than Christmas because Christmas in Sweden is primary family holiday. And of course, uh, when you celebrate it in larger circles, it's, it's, it becomes larger. Um, mm -hmm. At the beginning, also, Midsummer uh, had the function being a church festival. But today, that is almost non-existent. So... Uh, in popular Swedish celebrations, Midsummer Eve, like Christmas Eve and Easter Eve, has a stronger position than Midsummer Day itself. Uh, and that's unlike in many other countries where you celebrate the Midsummer Day or the Christmas Day. But here is Midsummer Eve. Mm. So that, that's uh, what the Midsummer are if you take fragments from it. And every fragment is a lot of interesting uh, history behind. 
Yeah, wow. I'm very interested to ask more about the the kind of magical powers, but we'll get onto that later. But how do you celebrate it, you know, with your family and friends? What are you doing on the day? What are you, you know, eating and drinking? I've heard a lot about the dancing. What goes on? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I will not dance, but I, I, I hope I can sing a short song or two even. Midsummer is full of both old and new traditions. And I think that's really a special mix uh, that no, no other, you know, holiday have. And in Sweden, in midsummer, we eat common herring supper with dill smelling fresh potatoes. That is really important. This is usually a Thai party with different kinds of herring and homemade bread. Uh, other things on the table are salmon, uh, prince sausages and meatballs. And for the dessert, we always eat strawberries with cream. That, that is also mm-hmm. like really a spe- like a primary thing for midsummer. And of course, when the weather is good, we eat outdoors at the beautiful set table with lots of flowers and, small, and a small maypole in the middle of the table. But of course, uh, I, I read here that the, the, the coldest record in Sweden is like two degrees on midsummer and the warmest <gasps> record is uh, plus 35. So wow. we have everything in between. Uh, a central part of, of the eating is the little schnapps, or in Swedish we say snaps or nubbe, uh, and there is no English word for nubbe. So the little schnapps uh, we take to the herring, and it's accompanied with short songs, snapsvisor in Swedish, uh, or schnapp songs, and Drinking to be allowed to sing is done in many cultures, but only Swedish and the Finnish Swedes sing to be allowed to drink. <laughs> so that, that's, that's an important thing, you know. Uh, I don't know why, but, but it's, it's a fact. And this only actually happens when it snaps in the glass. So we don't uh-huh. sing if you drink beer or, or uh, you know, wine. It's only when it comes to schnapps. And the schnapps song tradition and the whole ceremony around the schnapps and Akkavit were born in the middle class academic environments during, say, somewhere during the second half of the 19th century. Uh, often this was students who sang schnapps songs. And it became really popular around 100 years ago when we had alcohol rationing and the ration book were introduced. And I don't really have an explanation but it just exploded around 100 years ago. And today, schnapps and schnapps songs are only are a tradition when we eat smorgasbord or celebrate Christmas, Easter or Midsummer. And also in some cases when we eat, we call it schnapps-friendly food. And that could be fermented Baltic herring and, and, and it's, it's like fish that is rotten. Uh, I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, also... It, if we eat eel, we eat eel in Sweden and also crawfish. And this in special p- parts of the year. But we call it schnapps-friendly food because it's really fat food. So uh, the most famous uh, Swedish schnapps song is Helangår. Uh, and that's a two verses uh, uh, song about Helan, the whole, uh, one full schnapps and then the half, and that's a half schnapps. And if you don't drink the whole, you don't get the half. So that's what Helangor is about. And I have this funny story because Helangor is really a popular thing in Sweden. And I have this example when Sweden won the World Cup in hockey in 1957. Many of the players couldn't sing the gamla, the fria, the Swedish national anthem. So they sang Helangor. <laughs> and, you know, that was really an icebreaker. You know, the guys, they knew Helangor, but not the national anthem. <laughs> so uh, do you want me to sing Helangor? I can sing the first words here. 
I would I would love it if you sang. Yeah, if you yeah. wouldn't mind. <laughs> yeah, so imagine you having this small uh, schnapps in your hand. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, here it goes. Helan går, sjung hopp faller i fader allan lej. Helan går, sjung hopp för allan lej. Och den som inte helan tar han heller, inte halvan får. Helan går, sjung hopp för allan lej. And then you drink it Amazing. at once. I feel so much like I've just kind of been transported into a midsummer celebration and I just want to have snaps and strawberries and cream and potatoes all around me. I can totally imagine the the atmosphere of everyone singing together and it's a sunny day and eating good food. That's lovely. Yeah, and the schnapps itself, it's not like vodka or something. This is uh, with herbs and spices, so it, it really have a, a good taste. Uh, and you have, since you drink it in small glasses, uh, it, it's okay. So it's not now, it's not known for sure how old this Helan song is, but what, what we do know is that it's actually quoted in opera as early as 1843. So mm. it, it has been around for a while. And further, midsummer is almost always celebrated in the home. So uh, in Sweden, it's totally empty, empty in, in the restaurants and taverns. So in Stockholm, for instance, during midsummer eve, it's uh, like the COVID lockdown, so to speak. It's totally <laughs> empty. But a happy version. <laughs> yeah. And, and the kind of new thing is that the switch today also, when, when the evening comes, we start up the grill and do barbecue mm. we didn't do that before that's that's kind of new thing actually uh, maybe like 10 20 years old mm-hmm. so um uh, moving further uh, what is really important also is that fra- flower wreath should be tied in the hair uh, and that's mostly for women and children and in the past because this was really impo- important in the past people saved those flower wreaths uh, and until Christmas when it was time to take a bath. <laughs> <It's just stupid. laughs> yeah, and uh, what they thought was that the dried flowers would provide strength to last the rest of the winter. And the flowers are really important, are really still very important. So, and also the midsummer poles, they should be leafed and danced around. And uh, the most obvious ring dance that we have for midsummer is, of course, something called the little frogs or smogrodorna in Swedish. And what what you do here is that you, you dance around the pole and you sing and behave as a frog. Uh, it's it's it sounds uh, strange. <laughs> so, um, and this uh, this uh, thing uh, showed up f- first uh, in a, in a songbook uh, called uh, Songleker from Nas, uh, Song uh, Plays from Nas in 1922. This is a melody that can be traced to a French military march, actually, from the days of the French Revolution. And it's mm. called the Onion Song, or, or in, in French, La Chanson de l'Oignon. And then, you know, the, the sworn enemies to the French, the British, they, <laughs> they uh, added some classic British irony. So they changed the text to A Pass Grenoil, In Time, Little Frogs. <laughs> uh, so somewhere on, along the way, it, it then received Swedish text about frogs and became an important part of our Swedish cultural heritage. And no midsummer okay. can be celebrated without it. And are you all kind of um, dancing together around the pole at that time when you're all singing together? Yes, everybody that can stand up. Or with the flowers and... Yeah, and and since we learned this since we are small, you know, even if you are like 80, uh, if you can walk, you, you laugh as much. 
as the the person being five years old Absolutely. and I, I, I start laughing now when I think about it so it, it it's it's really uh, it's really fun it's really yeah. fun and then finally we have the games uh, I've, this is the evening where when the Swedish people uh, play a lot of different games preferably outside we have something called cub that comes from Gotland uh, where you're supposed to to throw bricks of uh, wood on your opponent's brick of wood so not on the opponent <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have tug of war we have uh, jump sack uh, and the list can be long and you know of course everybody have their own favorites but it's it, it's uh, it's an important thing the games Yeah, this is how we celebrate Midsummer. It's the food, uh, it's the Midsummer song, and we have the dancing, and of course we have the schnapps songs. I mean, all all of those things together just it just makes it sound like such a, as you say, such a fun, joyful time. You know, with friends and family, eating good food, drinking nice drinks dancing and singing and hopefully in nice weather I'm not surprised that it's the second most important holiday in the entire year it sounds like every country should should have a day like that yeah and, and, it, and it, it, it's only you know positivism around it well let's dive into a bit of the history then because as you say it predates Christianity right yeah what we don't know actually is whether the midsummer celebration was spread during the pre-christian times or would have had an equivalent festivity around the summer solstice. Uh, we don't have any sources. So, in other words, the possible pre-Christian connections of the midsummer celebration are speculative and sources are lacking. So, what we think is that it's probably that the summer solstice was celebrated in some way and to guess that the holiday had to do with fertility is close at hand. But, however, we, we know nothing about how the midsummer party went apart from a single hint in the medieval source is about ritual beer drinking and bloat. Bloat is a sacrificial feasting, actually, mm-hmm. and this was done during the Viking Age. So the oldest preserved writings that mention the midsummer celebration in the Nordic countries are the Icelandic royalties from the 13th century. And this is uh, written about Olav Tryggvason. And this guy, Olav Tryggvason, he was born uh, around year 968 and died in year 1000. And this guy was uh, king of Norway from 995 to 1000. And at this time, Sweden and Norway was pretty much the same country. But what we do know, actually, is that since the 4th century, the Christian church celebrates the birth of John the Baptist on June 24. And John was born, according to the Gospel of Luke, six months before Jesus and is therefore celebrated six months before Christmas. So Mm. uh, what happened was that the the Midsummer celebrations was originally a church holiday that spread from the Mediterranean world to other parts of Europe. It came to Germany and then from Germany to Sweden. Uh, But still in in several countries, uh, Midsummer is called uh, St. John's Day or uh, St. Hans uh, uh, and like in Finland they say Johannes uh, in Iceland, they say Jöns Messa, and in Denmark and Norway, Norway they say Sankt Hans. So they still use this John the Baptist word. Mm. But um, in Sweden, it's still called Midsummer, Midsommar. 
So one of the earliest sources available is uh, Bishop Olaus Magnus, uh, History of the Nordic Peoples from 1555. There Magnus describes that on the evening of St. John the Baptist, all peoples, regardless of gender and age, gathering crowds in the town square or outside the open field to happily enter the dance by the light of numerous fires which are lit everywhere. And what's interesting here is Magnus mentioned midsummer fires and that has actually existed right up to our time. And what's happened in Sweden is that the midsummer pole has taken over burning fires. Ah, okay. Yeah. And then in the 14th century, the nuns in the current school monastery here in Sweden, they applied for permission to organize folk parties in connection with midsummer, religious folk parties. And the reason was to get rid of the massive popular celebrations people had during midsummer, which included alcohol, dancing in cemeteries, theft of sacred images and shameless songs. And the church really tried to make the popular celebration a celebration of John the Baptist, but they actually never succeeded in doing this. So even if people today don't dance in cemeteries or steal sacred images, we do have uh, drunkenness, of course, and midsummer can be messy in places because this schnapps, uh, uh, well, it's not water. (laughs) That's fascinating. And, you know, the Midsummer Pole, as I said, is the main attribute of Midsummer. And sometimes we, the slightly older term Maypole is also used, uh, uh, Maistong. And you can, can actually compare that to the English Maypole, which does not come from the month of May, but from the word Maya. And uh, Maya means to adorn with leaves. So there is a connection here with, with the English Maypole. Uh, the Midsummer Pole uh, probably came to Sweden from Germany during the Middle Ages, and it has had many different forms. And today, the most common Midsummer Pole in Sweden has uh, horizontal boom. So the Midsummer Pole with leaves and flowers takes the shape of a cross. And then we have a big uh, flower wreath uh, attached to the boom at the far end of each arm. So that's the current uh, shape of the the Midsummer Pole. And the earliest images of the Midsummer Pole are in Erik Dahlberg's uh, Svetia Antikia, uh, published in the 17th century. Uh, And at that time, the Midsummer or Maypole was probably used by deacons, that's say students of the time, uh, and servants who wandered between towns and villages and sang May while they uh, begged for food and money. Mm. Where does the magical element come into play? You mentioned earlier how there's some kind of magical element to Midsummer. Well, the magic and myths people in Sweden get to hear and learn about since childhood, and the same magic and myths throughout the country. So even if you are 80 or 5, you hear the same stories. In the, in the folk beliefs of the peasant society, the Midsummer night was an important time. It was considered one of the most magical nights of the year when nature was filled with supernatural forces. The boundary between the human world and the supernatural was thought to be thinner than usual uh, this night. And there are many stories of amazing things that were said to happen then. So people tried to predict the future and find out who would die, who would get married and what the harvest would be like in the coming year. Uh, and one of the most common divination uh, methods still exists, uh, but this today primarily game for children. And that is to pick seven kinds of flowers to put under the pillow to dream about the one to marry. Uh, and picking the flowers uh, you must do in silence, otherwise the magic is broken. And in addition, mm-hmm. you need to climb over seven fences, one for each flower. 
you can't just be lazy and get seven flowers from the same field just from your front garden doesn't count no and you know picking flowers uh, was both playful but but actually i think uh, very serious someone who describes to ritual writes that i dreamed of my neighbor's pig and, and uh, yeah but then there are those who write that i dream of that person and that following year they met at the market uh, but the serious undertone here is uh, that it was really important to marry the right person in the past as there were not the same opportunity to divorce as it is today. Mm. It's both playful and serious. The other day, uh, a girl working uh, at my favorite restaurant, and she's like 16 or something. I asked her, what is midsummer for you? She first started talking about the flowers. And she told me that she was taught that when she was like three, four years old. Oh, that's so lovely. Uh, another thing, uh, the dew during the midsummer night is considered healthy. So if you're ill, you can roll naked in the dew or soak your clothes with it and put it on the sick person. Uh, and I saw an image actually uh, on the internet. Uh, it was like 50 people on the big field naked uh, rolling around in the dew. <laughs> so, you know, people do this today also. But then we have... Um, something called the Necken. Uh, Necken is considered to be extra dangerous on Midsummer Night. Uh, and Necken uh, is a supernatural male water creature that mainly lives in rivers, streams, ponds and lakes inland. Uh, and the figure is known from uh, old Nordic folk beliefs and poetry, mainly from legends and, and folk songs from Norway and Sweden. And, and he is an embodiment of dangers associated with water and appears in a number of different forms. And what he do is that he often tries in various ways to attract people to drown them. In order to not to be caught by him on Midsummer Night, it's important to tie him up before bathing. So what people did that they put a nail or a knife in the ground next to the lake and said, Necken on shore, uh, I in the water. So when you did that, you tied neck in the shore uh, and then you bought it. And when you were done, you had to say the same thing in the opposite way to let him back into the water. And this was really serious. I remember when I was young, uh, because I had my roots in the northern part of Sweden, beware of Necken when you went out to the forest. Yeah. He exists uh, very much, I think, in many people's minds. And is that something that you, the act of, of kind of nailing to the shore, is that something that you do just for Midsummer's Night or is that actually kind of year round? No, this is special for Midsummer since he's extra dangerous then. But I got to learn when I was young, really young, that, uh, well, you don't walk close to small ponds and small rivers in the forest. So beware of Necken when you are out in the Swedish forest. Absolutely. It's similar to um, the kind of the mermaid myth, isn't it? That they kind of seduce the men with the singing voices and then just drown them. Yeah, very similar. So what do people normally spend their money on when it comes to the midsummer time of year? It's food and drink. Uh, that, that's, that, that's the thing. And uh, when it comes to marketing promotion, it's not, it's not so much around mar- midsummer itself. It's around what people are eating and, and drinking. But then, of course, as midsummer marked the beginning of the holiday period, uh, meaning that people have more time to spend in the garden, fixing with the house, relax, traveling, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. The marketing is around products around that. Okay. For marketing promotions, it is more about the 
the time of year and the, almost the season as opposed to the specific event of midsummer as you say like the the fact that people have more time and they they are you know maybe going on holidays as opposed to specifically about the, the day of midsummer yeah so can you think of any standout examples of of marketing when it's come to midsummer yes uh, actually because we have a quite recent thing it's about this uh, horror movie uh, uh, called midsummer mm. with an uh, american director uh, and and it has really created a lot of awareness for Midsummer in Sweden. And even if this film is, is like a fantastically messed up fantasy about, you know, how Swedes celebrate Midsummer, seen from a stranger's perspective, and it's, it's really scary. It, it, uh, it has uh, made people interested in what is Midsummer and, and Sweden. So uh, I don't think the director thought about it, but it has been the effect uh, anyway. Interesting. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, otherwise, uh, the marketing around midsummer is about creating feelings of warmth, joy, nostalgia, and inspiration. It's only positivism mm. when it comes to marketing. But we do have these uh, strange marketing things that happen uh, during midsummer. And one is money back guarantee if it rains. <laughs> Uh, but you know, uh, because it it can rain on midsummer, but uh, most often this this create negative uh, PR for that company. Uh, and one example is this TV commercial produced by Bedroom Furniture Company, saying to customers that they had an opportunity to get back the cost of the purchase in the event of rain on midsummer eve. But what they didn't say was the conditions, uh, and the conditions was that it had to rain at least five millimeters for three hours in a small town in the southern part of Sweden <laughs> at a special place in that town. <laughs> this actually created a lot of negative noise for that company. Yeah. Do you have any advice, I guess, for, for international marketers who might be trying to market something to Swedish customers, maybe even not specifically for midsummer, but around that type of year and trying to kind of capitalize on that whole positive, inspiring element of the event? Yeah. First of all, Midsummer is a family event and it's taking place during the day and it's focused on the children. So this is a family thing. It's not a bachelor thing. Also, most we celebrate Midsummer Eve on the country, as I mentioned earlier. So it, this, the cities are really empty. Uh, but then, of course, we have public Midsummer celebrations in, in the cities also, but it, it's really empty. But what has happened the last couple of years, and I think it's actually, you know, uh, exploding now with the COVID situation, is the growing trend to celebrate Midsummer on a camping site. And we have around 400 camping sites from north to south in Sweden. Uh, and most of these camping sites also organize Midsummer celebration. Mm. There's also a possibility to do virtual Midsummer celebration. We have regional tourism organizations arrange that. Uh, so if you are like an international travel marketer uh, now with the COVID situation, you could still, you know, get the possibility to, to do a virtual midsummer celebration. Uh, and this is uh, done by uh, an organization called Visit Sweden. That is the organization in Sweden that have the purpose to, to market the destination of Sweden. But what I would say to sum this up, family and uh, camping is the growing trend. Wonderful. I think this has been really, really interesting. And I, I really appreciate and I think our listeners will 
we really appreciate the the detail that you've gone into for us because I didn't know much about this event before. The history and the the traditions, the songs, especially the seven daisies under the pillow. That's going to be something that I I will walk through seven different fields and get some flowers and maybe dream of my true love. It's something for everybody. Uh, and I think that's also make Midsummer kind of special because it's so inclusive. And also now when we are, Sweden are, you know, becoming more and more a, a mixed culture. Mm. We also try to mix in other countries. Uh, for instance, uh, when it comes to, to the music, uh, we mix music from other countries. Oh, nice. But of course, those magical things, uh, I don't think they will change mm. because people love them. Well, it's stood the test of time for a thousand or so years already, and I'm sure it'll be going on for a thousand more years. So thank you so much, Lars. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. We are going to head into our Lost in Localization segment now, but listeners, do stick around as we'll be hearing a special rendition of the infamous frog song that Lars mentioned earlier. I would like to sing it so you can hear how strange it is. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> Now I am joined by fellow Oban member Az Ahmed for our Lost in Localization segment. Hello, Az. Welcome back. Hi, Aviel. It's it's nice to be here again uh, for episode five. I can't believe it's five episodes already. Yes, episode five. How are you? How are you enjoying it so far? Oh, it's great. It's it's such an interesting, um, such an interesting event, and um, you know I hadn't really heard about it before this episode, and it just sounds like such a fun thing to do, and all that dancing around the maypole, and just being <laughs> frogs, and all the drinking. Oh, I'm I'm up for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Kind of similarly to when we were talking about King's Day, yeah, uh, a few episodes back. It feels one of those feels like one of those uh, events that that you really want to do now like after after a long winter lockdown yes <laughs> you really want to go and you know have some good food good drink and dance and sing and and wear flowers in the sunshine I mean what yeah, more could exactly. you want really? <laughs> exactly and I, I love how Laura's was talking about just how positive it is and mm. such a family event and get the kids get involved and he's like even if you're 80 and you can move you can dance around uh, a pole I was like that sounds sounds fantastic <laughs> so without further ado let's dive into the Los Angeles localization segment what is your untranslatable word for this episode it's it's one that's hard to pronounce and i'm going to butcher this pronunciation but it is culture burare i i messed that up totally nice. but oh, it's nice. it's a very it's a very flowery word to say as well but um <laughs> the word literally means culture bearer or culture carrier and um it's basically it's somebody or something that like upholds a culture or moves it forward or like brings a culture from one place to another and i just i thought it was such a relevant word for this episode and you know midsummer as an event could be seen as a, a culture bearer to the world mm. and it brings swedish culture to the world yeah absolutely actually i was telling my friend before we were recording this episode and i told her that we were talking about midsummer and and she's english but one of her best friends is swedish and she said oh i've actually celebrated that in in london yeah it was a really nice big celebration with a group of swedish people just celebrating the event in england and so it's it's nice that that's as you say is kind of um as an event is is the culture bearer so to speak that's really yeah nice. that's that's great because i was um actually the, you know doing research about this word and this event and i, I found out it's, it's celebrated all around the world in different cities just wherever you, 
you can find Swedish people, they will mm-hmm. they will get together and and celebrate this event. So yeah, it as an event, it is a culture bearer of Swedish culture, and it's mm. it, I think I think that's fascinating. Does it have to be a, a kind of a thing or a celebration, or can it more almost be like an idea mm. or an industry or a person? You know, or... it can be it can be anything. It can be a person. It can be an idea, a book, a movie, a song, an event. I was even thinking about it. Could even be a company that you know, like brings that country's culture to another country if it sets up a head office somewhere else. So, you know, it, it can be anything. The whole point of it is basically to take a culture or aspect of culture and push that forward, mm. making other people find out about that culture, which I think is great. That is nice. I think what springs to mind is the whole K-pop industry and just mm. like Korean artists and even yeah. Korean films or the whole kind of, they call it the Korean wave, just like, yeah, you know, dramas and music and um, makeup and beauty products is this whole kind of wave of Korean culture spreading mm. across the world and that's a good culture bearer do you yeah, have something good. that you think is I don't know either for for England or for Pakistan or for you yourself like uh, what what's an example that you think that you relate to yeah sure so um I feel like my my son who is is three and I'm I'm teaching him Urdu as a second language and so I kind of feel that in that aspect, I am the culture bearer of Pakistani culture to him. So, mm. you know, I make him listen to Pakistani songs and, you know, we watch Pakistani like cartoons on TV and stuff. And so I'm, I feel like I'm that culture bearer in his life and trying to bring that culture to him um, because he doesn't experience it with anybody else in England. So I'm trying to I'm trying to be that for him. So that's really nice. That's really significant to be the culture bearer for a specific person mm. is is really special. But I was um, I was thinking about like when you mentioned K-pop as well. It's like you know that whole Nordic noir element that came in with the films and the books and stuff. Mm. And you know they got they became really popular over here, and you know people loved them. And so that kind of to me brought that culture to a different place and stuff. So yeah, amazing. What do you think would be for England? Yeah, so something I was thinking about was that, you know, growing up in the Middle East and in Pakistan, whenever somebody mentioned the UK, they said, oh, you're going to London. Even if they were going to Bradford or like, you know, Birmingham, they would say, oh, you're going to London. So London became the UK or became England. So it could be that London is the culture bearer and like people love coming to to London and seeing the sights and, you know, tourism's massive. So to me, it, it just hearing people talk about London, it was like, oh, London is the culture bearer, even though the person was going somewhere completely different, like going to Wales, but oh, you're going to London. <laughs> I'm sure that Welsh people would love to <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> have those mixed up. I think French people have the same thing with Paris. Yeah. Well, maybe Oban International and this podcast itself can become a yes. culture bearer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every episode. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's about it for our episode on Midsummer. I hope you've all enjoyed learning about the holiday and let's keep our fingers crossed for some nice weather for Midsummer this year. If you'd like to learn more about other important holidays from around the world, or if you're interested in finding out how Oban can help you drive international growth, then get in touch by visiting obaninternational.com. Special thanks to Lars for telling us all about what Midsummer means to him. And of course, thank you to Az, as always, and to Steve Folland for editing the episode. But before we go, I'm joined again by our lime Lars for one more song, as promised. Take it away, Lars. Imagine behaving like a frog at the same time. So this is how it goes. 
Smågrodorna, smågrodorna är lustiga att se. Smågrodorna, smågrodorna är lustiga att se. Ej öron, ej öron, ej svansar hava det. Ej öron, ej öron, ej svansar hava det. Koakaka, koakaka, koakakakaka. Koakaka, koakaka, koakakakaka. I love that even more than the than the snap song. <laughs>